True grace changes the very nature of a man. Moral virtue doth only restrain or chain up the outward man, it doth not change the whole man. A lion in a grate is a lion still. He is restrained, but not changed, for he retains his lion-like nature still. So temporary graces restrain many men from this and that wickedness, but it doth not change and turn their hearts from wickedness. But now true grace, that turns a lion into a lamb, as you may see in Paul, Acts 9, and a notorious trumpet into a blessed and glorious penitent, as you may see in Mary Magdalene, Luke 7. Footnote. It seems right to question this admittedly common mode of speaking of Mary of Magdalene. It is not certain that the two were identical. End of footnote. 2. The objects of true grace are supernatural. True grace is conversant about the choicest and the highest objects, about the most soul-ennobling and soul-greatening objects, as God, Christ, precious promises that are more worth than a world, and a kingdom that shakes not, a crown of glory that withers not, and heavenly treasures that rust not. The objects of temporal grace are low and poor, and always within the compass of reason's reach. Footnote A saint hath his feet where other men's heads are. Matthew 6 End of footnote 3. True grace enables a Christian when he is himself to do spiritual actions with real pleasure and delight. To souls truly gracious, Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light. His commandments are not grievous, but joyous. I delight in the law of God after the inward man, saith Paul. The blessed man is described by this, that he delights in the law of the Lord, Psalm 1-2. It is joy to the just to do judgment, saith Solomon, Proverbs 21-15. To a gracious soul, all the ways of the Lord are pleasantness, and his paths are peace, Proverbs 3-17. But to souls that have but temporary grace, but moral virtues, religious services are a toil, not a pleasure, a burden, and not a delight. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our souls, and thou takest no knowledge? Isaiah 58.3 Ye have said, say those in Malachi, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? Malachi 3.14 When will the new moon be gone, say those in Amos, that we may sell corn and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit. Amos 8.5 4. True grace makes a man most careful and most fearful of his own heart. It makes him most studious about his own heart, informing that, examining that, and watching over that. But temporary grace, moral virtues, make men more mindful and careful of others, to instruct them, and counsel them, and stir up them, and watch over them. Which doth, with open mouth, demonstrate that their graces are not saving and peculiar to saints, but that they are temporary, and no more than Judas, Demas, and the Pharisees had. 5. Grace will work a man's heart to love and cleave to the strictest and holiest ways and things of God, for their purity and sanctity, in the face of all dangers and hardships. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Psalm 119, verse 140. Others love it, and like it, and follow it, for the credit, the honor, 
the advantage that they get by it, but I love it for the spiritual beauty and purity of it. So the psalmist, All this is come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way. Though thou hast so broken us in the place of dragons, and covered us with the shadow of death. Psalm 44, verses 17 through 19. But temporary grace will not bear up the soul against all oppositions and discouragements in the way of God, as is clear by their apostasy in John 6, verses 60 and 66, and by the stony ground hearers falling away, Matthew 13, verses 20 and 21. Footnote. Grace is a panoply against all trouble and a paradise of all pleasures. End of footnote. 6. True grace will enable a man to step over the world's crown, to take up Christ's cross, to prefer the cross of Christ above the glory of this world. It enabled Abraham and Moses and Daniel with those other worthies in Hebrews 11 to do so. Godfrey of Bullion, crusader king of Jerusalem, refused to be crowned with a crown of gold, saying that it became not a Christian there to wear a crown of gold where Christ had worn a crown of thorns. Oh, but temporary grace cannot work the soul to prefer Christ's cross above the world's crown. But when these two meet, a temporary Christian steps over Christ's cross to take up and keep up the world's crown. Demas hath forsaken us to embrace this present world. 2 Timothy 4.10 So the young man in the gospel had many good things in him. He bid fear for heaven and came near to heaven. But when Christ set his cross before him, he steps over that to enjoy the world's crown. Matthew 19, verses 19 through 22. When Christ bid him go and sell all that he had and give to the poor, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. If heaven be to be had upon no other terms, Christ may keep his heaven to himself. He will have none. Footnote. Few are of Jerome's mind that had rather have Paul's coat with his heavenly graces than the purple of kings with their kingdoms. The king of Navarre told Biza that in the cause of religion he would launch no further into their sea than he might be sure to return safe to the haven. End of footnote. 7. Sanctifying grace, renewing grace, puts the soul upon spiritual duties from spiritual and intrinsical motives as from the sense of divine love that doth constrain the soul to wait on God and to act for God. Footnote As what I have, if offered to thee, pleaseth thee not, O Lord, without myself, so the good things we have from thee, though they may refresh us, yet they satisfy us not without thyself. Bernard End of footnote and the sense of the excellency and sweetness of communion with God, and the choice and precious discoveries that the soul hath formerly had of the beauty and glory of God, while it hath been in the service of God. The good looks, the good words, the blessed love letters, the glorious kisses, and the sweet embraces that gracious souls have had from Christ in his service, do provoke and move them to wait upon him in holy duties. Ah, but restraining grace, Temporary grace puts men upon religious duties only from external motives as the care of the creature, the eye of the creature, the rewards of the creature, and the keeping up of a name among the creatures, and a thousand such like considerations 
as you may see in Saul, Jehu, Judas, Demas, and the scribes and Pharisees. Footnote. It is an excellent speech of Bernard. Good art thou, O Lord, to the soul that seeks thee. What art thou then to the soul that finds thee? End of footnote. The abbot in Melanchthon lived strictly and walked demurely and looked humbly so long as he was but a monk. But when, by his seeming extraordinary sanctity, he got to be abbot, he grew intolerably proud and insolent, and being asked the reason of it, confessed that his former lowly look was but to see if he could find the keys of the abbey. Such poor, low, vain motives work temporary souls to all the service they do perform. 8. Saving grace, renewing grace, will cause a man to follow the Lord fully in the desertion of all sin and in the observation of all God's precepts. Joshua and Caleb followed the Lord fully. Numbers 14.24 Footnote Hath fulfilled after me, in the Hebrew, a metaphor taken from a ship under sail that is strongly carried with the wind as fearing neither rocks nor sands. End of footnote. Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous before God and walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Luke 1, verses 5 and 6. The saints in the Revelation are described by this, that they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. Revelation 14, 4. But restraining grace, temporary grace, cannot enable a man to follow the Lord fully. All that temporary grace can enable a man to do is to follow the Lord partially, unevenly, and haltingly, as you may see in Jehu, Herod, Judas, and the scribes and Pharisees, who paid tithes of mint and anise and cumin, but omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Matthew twenty-three twenty-three. True grace works the heart to the hatred of all sin and to the love of all truth. It works a man to the hatred of those sins that for his blood he cannot conquer and to loathe those sins that he would give all the world to overcome. Psalm 119, 104, and 128. Footnote. I had rather go to hell pure from sin than to heaven polluted with that filth. Anselm. Give what thou commandest, and command what thou wilt. Augustine. End of footnote. So that a soul truly gracious can say, though there be... No one sin mortified and subdued in me, as it should, and as I would, yet every sin is hated and loathed by me. So a soul truly gracious can say, though I do not obey any one command as I should and as I would, yet every word is sweet, every command of God is precious. Psalm 119, verse 6, and 119, and 127, and 167. I dearly prize and greatly love those commands that I cannot obey, though there be many commands that I cannot in a strict sense fulfill. Yet there is no command I would not fulfill that I do not exceedingly love. I love thy commandments above gold, above fine gold. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Psalm 119, verse 117, and chapter 99, verse 7. Number 9. True grace leads the soul to rest in Christ as in his chiefest good. It works the soul to center in Christ as in his highest and ultimate end. Whither should we go? 
Thou hast the words of eternal life. John 6.68 My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest of ten thousand. I found him whom my soul loved. I held him and would not let him go. Canticles 5 verses 10 and chapter 3 verse 4 That wisdom a believer hath from Christ, it leads him to center in the wisdom of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And that love the soul hath from Christ, it leads the soul to center in the love of Christ. And that righteousness the soul hath from Christ, it leads the soul to rest and center in the righteousness of Christ. Philippians 3.9 Footnote Grace is that star that leads to Christ. It is that pillar and cloud of fire that leads the soul to the heavenly Canaan where Christ sits chief. End of footnote. True grace is a beam of Christ and where it is, it will naturally lead the soul to rest in Christ. The stream doth not more naturally lead to the fountain, nor the effect to the cause, than true grace leads the soul to Christ. But restraining grace, temporary grace, works the soul to center and rest in things below Christ. Sometimes it works the soul to center in the praises of the creature, sometimes to rest in the rewards of the creature. Verily they have their reward, said Christ, Matthew 6 verses 1 and 2 and so in a hundred other things Zechariah 7 verses 5 and 6 Number 10 True grace will enable a soul to sit down satisfied and contented with the naked enjoyments of Christ The enjoyment of Christ without honor will satisfy the soul The enjoyment of Christ without riches The enjoyment of Christ without pleasures and without the smiles of creatures will content and satisfy the soul it is enough, Joseph is alive. Genesis 45, verse 28. So saith a gracious soul, though honor is not, and riches are not, and health is not, and friends are not. It is enough that Christ is, that he reigns, conquers, and triumphs. Christ is the pot of manna, the cruise of oil, a bottomless ocean of all comfort, content, and satisfaction. He that hath him wants nothing, he that wants him enjoys nothing. Footnote. Saith Seneca, a contented man cannot be a poor man. End of footnote. Having nothing, saith Paul, and yet possessing all things. Second Corinthians 6.10 Oh, but a man that hath but temporary grace, that hath but restraining grace, cannot sit down satisfied and contented under the want of outward comforts. Footnote. Charles, the great's motto, is also the motto of the saints. Christ reigns, conquers, triumphs. Augustine, upon Psalm 12, brings in God, rebuking a discontented Christian thus, What is thy faith? Have I promised thee these things? What? Wert thou made a Christian that thou shouldst flourish here in this world? End of footnote. Christ is good with honors saith such a soul, and Christ is good with riches, and Christ is good with pleasures, and he is good with such and such outward contents. I must have Christ and the world, or else with the young man in the gospel, in spite of my soul, I shall forsake Christ to follow the world. Ah, how many shining professors be there in the world that cannot sit down satisfied and contented under the want of this or that outward comfort and content, but are like bedlams, fretting and vexing, raging and maddening. Footnote, going about as mad. End of footnote.
as if there were no God, no heaven, no hell, nor no Christ to make up all such outward wants to souls. But a soul truly gracious can say, In having nothing, I have all things, because I have Christ. Having therefore all things in him, I seek no other reward, for he is the universal reward. Such a soul can say, Nothing is sweet to me without the enjoyment of Christ in it. Honors, nor riches, nor the smiles of creatures, are not sweet to me no farther than I can see Christ, and taste Christ in them. Footnote Content is the deputy of outward felicity, and supplies the place where it is absent. As the Jews throw the book of Esther to the ground before they read it, because the name of God is not in it. As the rabbins have observed, so do saints in some sense those mercies wherein they do not read Christ's name and see Christ's heart. End of footnote. The confluence of all outward good cannot make a heaven of glory in my soul if Christ, who is the top of my glory, be absent. As Absalom said, What is all this to me so long as I cannot see the king's face? 2 Samuel 14.32 So saith the soul, why do you tell me of this and that outward comfort when I cannot see his face, whom my soul loves? Why my honor is not my Christ, nor riches is not Christ, nor the favor of the creature is not Christ. Let me have him, and let the men of this world take the world and divide it amongst themselves. I prize my Christ above all. I would enjoy my Christ above all other things in the world. His presence will make up the absence of all other comforts, and his absence will darken and embitter all my comforts, so that my comforts will neither taste like comforts, nor look like comforts, nor warm like comforts, when he that should comfort my soul stands afar off. Lamentations 1.16 Christ is all in all to souls truly gracious. Colossians 3.11 We have all things in Christ, and Christ is all things to a Christian. If we be sick, he is a physician. If we thirst, he is a fountain. If our sins trouble us, he is righteousness. If we stand in need of help, he is mighty to save. If we fear death, he is life. If we be in darkness, he is light. If we be weak, he is strength. If we be in poverty, he is plenty. If we desire heaven, he is the way. The soul cannot say, This I would have, and that I would have. But saith Christ, It is in me. It is in me eminently, perfectly, and eternally. Footnote Luther said he had rather be in hell with Christ than in heaven without him. None but Christ, none but Christ, said Lambert the martyr, lifting up his hands and his fingers, and flaming. End of footnote Device 5. By suggesting to them that that conflict that is in them is not a conflict that is only in saints, but such a conflict that is to be found in hypocrites and profane souls. When the truth is, there is as much difference between the conflict that is in them and that which is in wicked men as there is between light and darkness, between heaven and hell. And the truth of this I shall evidence to you in the following particulars. 1. The whole frame of a believer's soul is against sin. Understanding, will, and affection 
all the powers and faculties of the soul are in arms against sin. A covetous man may condemn covetousness, and yet the frame and bent of his heart may be to it. A proud person may condemn pride, and yet the frame of his spirit may be to it. And the drunkard may condemn drunkenness, and yet the frame of his spirit may be to it. A man may condemn stealing and lying, and yet the frame of his heart may be to it. Footnote It was a good saying of Augustine, Lord, deliver me from an evil man, myself. He complains that men do not tame their beasts in their own bosoms. End of footnote Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God. Romans 2 verses 21 and 23 But a saint's will is against it. The evil that I would not do, that I do. And his affections are against it. What I hate, I do. Romans 7 verses 19 and 20 2. A saint conflicts against sin universally, the least as well as the greatest. The most profitable and the most pleasing sin, as well as against those that are less pleasing and profitable. He will combat with all, though he cannot conquer one as he should and as he would. He knows that all sin strikes at God's holiness as well as his own happiness, at God's glory as well as at his soul's comfort and peace. Footnote, Psalm 119.104 I hate every false way. The Hebrew signifies to hate with a deadly and irreconcilable hatred. He knows that all the parts of the old man have and doth play the part of a treacherous friend and a friendly traitor. Therefore he strikes it all. The greater the combat is, the greater shall be the following rewards, saith Tertullian. True hatred is against the whole kind. Plutarch reports of one who would not be resolved of his doubts, because he would not lose the pleasure in seeking for a resolution. So wicked men will not be rid of some sins, because they would not lose the seeming pleasure of sinning. End of footnote. He knows that all sin is hateful to God, and that all sinners are traitors to the crown and dignity of the Lord Jesus. He looks upon one sin and sees that that threw down Noah, the most righteous man in the world. And he looks upon another sin and sees that that cast down Abraham, the greatest believer in the world. And he looks upon another sin and sees that that threw down David, the best king in the world. And he looks upon another sin and sees that that cast down Paul, the greatest apostle in the world. He sees that one sin threw down Samson, the strongest man in the world. Another cast down Solomon, the wisest man in the world. And another Moses, the meekest man in the world. And another sin cast down Job, the most patient man in the world. And this raises a holy indignation against all, so that nothing can satisfy and content his soul, but a destruction of all those lusts and vermin that vex and rack his righteous soul. It will not suffice a gracious soul to see justice done upon one sin, but he cries out for justice upon all. He would not have some crucified and others spared, but cries out, Lord, crucify them all, crucify them all. Oh, but now the conflict that is in wicked men is partial. They frown upon one sin and smile upon another. They strike at some sins, yet stroke others. 
they thrust some out of doors, but keep others close in their bosoms, as you may see in Jehu, Herod, Judas, Simon Magus, and Demas. Wicked men strike at gross sins, such as are not only against the law of God, but against the laws of nature and nations, but make nothing of less sins, as vain thoughts, idle words, sinful motions, and petty oaths. They fight against those sins that fight against their honor, profits, and pleasures, but make truce with those that are as right hand and right eyes to them. 3. The conflict that is in a saint against sin is maintained by several arguments, by arguments drawn from the love of God, the honor of God, the sweetness and communion with God, and from the spiritual and heavenly blessings and privileges that are conferred upon them by God and from arguments drawn from the blood of Christ, the glory of Christ, the eye of Christ, the kisses of Christ, and the intercession of Christ, and from arguments drawn from the earnest of the Spirit, the seal of the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit, the comforts of the Spirit. Oh, that the conflict that is in wicked men is from low, carnal, and legal arguments, drawn from the eye, ear, or hand of the creature, or drawn from shame, hell, and curses of the law. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7-9 through 9. Footnote Though to be kept from sin brings comfort to us, yet for us to oppose sin from spiritual and heavenly arguments, and God to pardon sin, that brings most glory to God. End of footnote. 4. The conflict that is in saints is a constant conflict. Though sin and grace were not born in the heart of a saint together, and though they shall not die together, yet while a believer lives, they must conflict together. Paul had been fourteen years converted when he cried out, I have a law in my members rebelling against the law of my mind, and leading me captive to the law of sin. Romans 7 verses 2 and 3 Pedro Cardineo, one of the dukes of Venice, died fighting against the Natchitines with the weapons in his hands. So a saint lives fighting and dies fighting. He stands fighting and falls fighting with his spiritual weapons in his hands. Footnote It was an excellent saying of Eusebius Eminesis, Our fathers overcame the torrents of the flames. Let us overcome the fiery darts of vices. Consider that the pleasure and sweetness that follows victory over sin is a thousand times beyond the seeming sweetness that is in sin. End of footnote. But the conflict that is in wicked men is inconstant. Now they fall out with sin, and anon they fall in with sin. Now it is bitter, anon it is sweet. Now the sinner turns from his sin, and anon he turns to the wallowing in sin, as the swine doth to the wallowing in the mire. Second Peter 2, verses 19 and 20. One hour you shall have him praying against sin, as if he feared it more than hell. And the next hour you shall have him pursuing after sin, as if there were no God to punish him, no justice to damn him, no hell to torment him. 5. The conflict that is in the saints is in the same faculties. There is the judgment against the judgment, the mind against the mind, the will against the will, the affections against the affections. That is, the regenerate part against the unregenerate part in all the parts of the soul. But now in wicked men, the conflict is not in the same faculties, 
but between the conscience and the will. The will of a sinner is bent strongly to such and such sins, but conscience puts in and tells the sinner, God hath made me his deputy. He hath given me a power to hang and draw, to examine, scourge, judge, and condemn. And if thou doest such and such wickedness, I shall be thy jailer and tormentor. I do not bear the rod nor the sword in vain, saith conscience. If thou sinnest, I shall do my office, and then thy life will be a hell. And this raises a tumult in the soul. Footnote A heathen could say, Their soul is in a mutiny. A wicked man is not friends with himself. He and his conscience are at a difference. Aristotle End of footnote 6. The conflict that is in the saints is a more blessed, successful, and prevailing conflict. A saint by his conflict with sin gains ground upon sin. They that are Christ, saith the apostle, have crucified the world with the affections and lusts. Galatians 5.24 Christ puts to his hand and helps them to lead captivative captive and set their feet upon the necks of those lusts that have formerly trampled upon their souls and their comforts. As the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker, and the house of David stronger and stronger, so the Lord, by the discoveries of his love and by the influences of his spirit, he causes grace, the nobler part of a saint, to grow stronger and stronger, and corruption like the house of Saul to grow weaker and weaker. But sin in a wicked heart gets ground and grows stronger and stronger, notwithstanding all his conflicts. His heart is more encouraged, emboldened, and hardened in a way of sin, as you may see in the Israelites, Pharaoh, Jehu, and Judas, who doubtless found many strange conflicts, tumults, and mutinies in their souls, when God spake such bitter things against them, and did such justice upon them. 2 Timothy 3.13 Footnote These two, grace and sin, are like two buckets of a well. When one is up, the other is down. They are like the two laurels at Rome. When one flourishes, the other withers. The more grace thrives in the soul, the more sin dies in the soul. For not they grow to be very not, and from very not to be stark not. Lacitanius said of Lucian, he spared neither God nor man. End of footnote. But remember this by way of caution. Though Christ hath given sin its death wound, by his power, spirit, death, and resurrection, yet it will die but a lingering death. Footnote. Mortification is a continued act. It is a daily dying to sin. I die daily. A crucified man will strive and struggle, yet in the eyes of the law, and in the account of all that see him, he is dead. It is just so with sin. End of footnote. As a man that is mortally wounded dies by little and little, so doth sin in the heart of a saint. The death of Christ on the cross was a lingering death, so the death of sin in the soul is a lingering death. Now it dies a little, and anon it dies a little, as the psalmist speaks, Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power, and bring them down, O Lord our shield. Psalm 59 verse 11 He would not have them utterly destroyed, but some relics preserved as memorial. So God dealeth in respect of sin. It is wounded and brought down, but not wholly slain. Something is still left as a monument of divine grace, and to keep us humble, 
wakeful and watchful, and that our armor may be still kept on and our weapons always in our hands. The best men's souls in this life hang between the flesh and the spirit, as it were like Mohammed's tomb at Mecca, between two lodestones. Like Erasmus, as the papists paint him, between heaven and hell. Like the tribe of Manasseh, half on this side of Jordan, in the land of the Amorites, and half on that side, in the Holy Land. Yet in the issue, they shall overcome the flesh, and trample upon the necks of their spiritual enemies. Footnote There is no such pleasure, say a Cyprian, as to have overcome and offered pleasure. Neither is there any greater conquest than that that is gotten over a man's corruptions. The Romans lost many a battle, and yet in the issue were conquerors in all their wars. It is just so with the saints. End of footnote. Device 6 By suggesting to the soul that surely his estate is not good, because he cannot joy and rejoice in Christ as once he could, because he hath lost that comfort and joy that once was in his spirit, saith Satan, Thou knowest the time was when thy heart was much carried out to joying and rejoicing in Christ. Thou dost not forget the time when thy heart used to be full of joy and comfort. But now, how art thou fallen in thy joys and comforts? Therefore, thy estate is not good. Thou doest but deceive thyself to think that ever it was good. For surely if it had, thy joy and comfort would have continued. And hereupon the soul is apt to take part with Satan, and say, It is even so, I see all is not. I have but deceived my own soul. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that the loss of comfort is a separable adjunct from grace. The soul may be full of holy affections when it is empty of divine consolations. There may be, and often is, true grace, yea, much grace, where there is not a drop of comfort nor a dram of joy. Comfort is not of the being, but of the well-being of a Christian. God hath not so linked these two choice lovers together, but that they may be put asunder. That wisdom that is from above will never work a man to reason thus, I have no comfort, therefore I have no grace. I have lost that joy that once I had, therefore my condition is not good, was never good. But it will enable a man to reason thus. Though my comfort is gone, yet the God of my comfort abides. Though my joy is lost, yet the seeds of grace remain. The best men's joys are as glass, bright and brittle, and evermore in danger of breaking. Footnote Spiritual joy is the sun that is often clouded. Though it be as precious a flower as most paradise affords, yet it is subject to fade and wither. End of footnote. Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that the precious things that thou still enjoyest are far better than the joys and comforts that thou hast lost. Thy union with Christ, thy communion with Christ, thy sonship, thy saintship, thy heirship, thou still enjoyest by Christ, are far better than the comforts thou hast lost by sin. What though thy comforts be gone, yet thy union and communion with Christ remains. Jeremiah 31 verses 18, 19, and 20 Though thy comforts be gone, yet thou art a son, though a comfortless son, an heir, though a comfortless heir, a saint, though a comfortless saint. 
Though the bag of silver, thy comforts be lost, yet the box of jewels, thy union with Christ, thy communion with Christ, thy sonship, thy saintship, thy heirship, which thou still enjoyest, is far better than the bag of silver thou hast lost. Yea, the least of those precious jewels is more worth than all the comforts in the world. Well, let this be a cordial to comfort thee, a star to lead thee, and a staff to support thee, that thy box of jewels are safe, though thy bag of silver be lost. Footnote When one objected to Phineas's cheerfulness to Christ's agony and sadness, he answered, Christ was sad, that I might be merry. He had my sins, and I have his righteousness. End of footnote. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that thy condition is no other than that what hath been the condition of those precious souls whose names were written upon the heart of Christ and who are now at rest in the bosom of Christ. One day you shall have them praising and rejoicing, the next day a mourning and weeping. One day you shall have them a singing, The Lord is our portion. The next day a sighing and expostulating with themselves, Why are ye cast down, O our souls? Why is our heart turned to mourning, and our organ into the voice of them that weep? Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that the causes of joy and comfort are not always the same. Happily, thy former comfort and joy did spring from the witness of the Spirit, he bearing witness to thy soul that thy nature was changed, thy sins pardoned, thy soul reconciled. Footnote The Spirit doth not every day make a feast in the soul. He doth not make every day to be a day of weaving the wedding robes. End of footnote Now the Spirit may, upon some special occasion, bear witness to the soul that the heart of God is dearly set upon him, that he loves him with an everlasting love, and yet the soul may never enjoy such a testimony all the days of his life again. Though the Spirit be a witnessing spirit, it is not his office every day to witness to believers their interest in God, Christ, heaven. Or happily... Thy former joy and comfort did spring from the newness and suddenness of the change of thy condition. For a man in one hour to have his night turned into day, his darkness turned into light, his bitter into sweet, God's frowns into smiles, his hatred into love, his hell into a heaven, must greatly joy and comfort him. Footnote A pardon given unexpectedly into the hand of a malefactor when he is on the last step of the ladder ready to be turned off, will cause much joy and rejoicing. The newness and suddenness of the change of his condition will cause his heart to leap and rejoice. Yet in process of time, much of his joy will be abated, though his life be as dear to him still as ever it was. And a footnote. It cannot but make his heart to leap and dance in him, who in one hour shall see Satan accusing him, his own heart condemning him, the eternal God frowning upon him, the gates of heaven barred against him, all the creation standing armed at the least beck of God to execute vengeance on him, and the mouth of the infernal pit open to receive him. Now in this hour, for Christ to come to the amazed soul and to say to it, I have trod the winepress of my Father's wrath for thee. I have laid down my life a ransom for thee. 
By my blood I have satisfied my father's justice and pacified his anger and procured his love for thee. By my blood I have purchased the pardon of thy sins, thy freedom from hell, and thy right to heaven. Oh, how wonderfully will that cause the soul to leap for joy. Remedy 5 The fifth remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that God will restore and make up the comforts of his people. Footnote Thomas Hudson, the martyr, deserted at the stake, went from under his chain, and having prayed earnestly, was comforted immediately, and suffered valiantly. So Robert Glover, when he was within sight of the stake, cried out to his friend, He is come, he is come, meaning the comforter the Christ promised to send. End of footnote. Though thy candle be put out, yet God will light it again, and make it burn more light than ever. Though thy sun for the present be clouded, yet he that rides upon the clouds shall scatter those clouds and cause the sun to shine and warm my heart as in the former days, as the psalmist speaks. Thou which hast showed me great and sore troubles shalt quicken me again, and shalt bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Thou shalt increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Psalm 71 verse 20 and 21 God takes away a little comfort that he may make room in the soul for a greater degree of comfort. This the prophet Isaiah sweetly shows. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. Isaiah 57.18 Bear up sweetly, O precious soul. Thy storm shall end in a calm and thy dark night in a sunshine day. Thy morning shall be turned into rejoicing, and the waters of consolation shall be sweeter and higher in thy soul than ever. The mercy is surely thine, but the time of giving it is the Lord's. Wait but a little, and thou shalt find the Lord comforting thee on every side. Device 7 By suggesting to the soul his often relapses into the same sin which formerly he hath pursued with particular sorrow, grief, shame, and tears, and prayed, complained, and resolved against it. Saith Satan, Thy heart is not right with God. Surely thy estate is not good. Thou dost not flatter thyself to think that ever God will eternally own and embrace such a one as thou art, who complainest against sin, and yet relapsest into the same sin, who with tears and groans confesses thy sin, and yet ever and anon art fallen into the same sin. I confess this is a very sad condition for a soul after he hath obtained mercy and pity from the Lord, after God hath spoken peace and pardon to him, and wiped the tears from his eyes, and set him upon his legs to return to folly. Footnote A backslider may say, All my pains and charges lost. End of footnote. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb 
at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.